Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm also one of the pastors on staff here at Fifth. <clears throat> and I'd also like to extend my welcome along with John. It is good to come together and it's good to have Sundays like Pentecost Sunday when we get to remember and be reminded about the outpouring of the Spirit and what that means for us. It's also good, we're working through a series throughout this summer called Knowing God by Name. And throughout that, we're looking at the, at the different names that God gives for himself and, and what that looks like so that we can know God and know God fully. Not just know about God, not know theology uh, or, or religious trappings, and those, those aren't bad things necessarily. But we're studying God's name so that we may know God and be transformed and changed by God. So... Our scripture, this reading, this, our scripture reading this morning uh, is from Genesis 17. And the scripture goes, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. There's something about a name that has more impact than what you would think. A name at its core, at its most basic, is nothing more than really a string of consonants and vowels that distinguish me from you, or you from your friend, or one kid from another, or your parents from one another. On its surface, it is pretty boring and banal. But names have such weight and power when we understand them. I used to be a, a youth worker. I spent a long time working with teenagers. I was a youth pastor. I spent time in schools. I'd go to sports games. I'd go to kids if I knew them and I'd go up and I'd go to their school and I would meet them and then I would meet their friends. And then as soon as the friends would leave, I would write down their names and would work very hard to try to remember names. And I did that because names have weight and power. And so the next time I would go to that school or I'd go to that sports game or I would see their team, I would go up and say, unrelated to the friend, hey, Ryan, how you doing? And I would watch people change. I would watch their physicality change and people who would, to them, I was just some random adult going around the school and then I called them out by name and you would watch, they stood up straighter, their shoulders relaxed, and suddenly they felt seen and heard. Or maybe you've had that moment. I know I have. You've had a moment in life when life is hard, when life feels difficult, and there's a moment when a friend or a family member looks you in the eye, stares into your soul, and says, it's going to be okay, Josh. And I just feel my heart break, and I think, it is going to be okay. Someone knows me. Someone sees me. Names have weight. Names have power. Names cut to the core of who we really are when we boil it down at the end of the day. The, the scripture reading for this morning is really, we're catching it in the middle of a broader story. And it's a story about Abram. And it's a story that radically has transformed the lives of Abram. And, and the name for God that shows up for this is the name El Shaddai. Now, if you were uh, alive and in the church during a certain period of time, an Amy Grant song is probably running through your head. Um, you're welcome for that. That one's free. 
I've had that in my head for two weeks now. Um, so welcome to the team. But the name is El Shaddai. And, and El Shaddai breaks down, El is short for Elohim, and that means God. And Shaddai means mighty. It can also mean high. It means all powerful. It's where we get this idea of God as a, not just the creator God, but this powerful, weighty kind of God and what that means. But the story itself on this one I think is really interesting because, because why does God lead with this, right? Why does God say, I am God Almighty? Well, to get to the answer of that, we actually need to back up uh, because this is ultimately a story about God, Abram, Sarai, and a covenant and what that means. Um, and so it actually begins with a promise that shows up in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, we have what's often called the calling of Abraham, and it reads like this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you're less familiar with Abram, let's understand some backstory to get what's going on. Abram was a fairly wealthy man. Abram had land. Abram had livestock. Abram had a, a variety of servants who helped him. Abram uh, had a wife who loved him and he loved her and they seemed to have a very good relationship. Abram had it made in the ancient world. Abram ticked all the boxes of things you're supposed to have except for Abram did not have a child. And really, Abram did not have an heir. Not having a kid in any society is hard. If you have ever struggled with that or walked alongside someone who struggles with that, you know the difficulty. It was harder for Abram because it wasn't just that Abram needed uh, to have a child in order to be socially accepted. Abram needed an heir to continue his legacy, to continue uh, his purpose, to continue what God was doing. So Abram, who's on the back nine of life at this stage, he's no longer a young man. Abram, who is well into his years, and God shows up to him and says, I will make you a great nation. And that means I will give you an heir. So Abram goes, okay, I'm going to follow you. And so Abram takes his family, Abram takes uh, all of his servants, and Abram takes all of his livestock, and they go off to find the land that God will promise them. Because that's the promise, right? And that God will give him an heir in the midst of that. And the timeline, it never really fully explains it, but when you do the math and run it out, God speaks to Abram. Abram goes. They have some high points, some low points. A year goes by. Two, three, four. About 10 years go by, and Abram is diligently following. And no child, no heir. The promise that God made that I will make a great nation out of you isn't ringing as true as it used to be. So then God shows up in Genesis 15, a couple chapters later, and he re-ups the promise. And so in 15, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, so, so get this, time out for a minute. Let's, let's understand what's going on. Abram has spent 10 years waiting for a promise. God shows up 
and makes a promise and says, I will take care of you. And if you read this, it almost sounds like Abram is interrupting, that Abram's doubts and lingering questions have bubbled to the surface. And he says, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. But God re-ups. The promise I made is the promise I'm keeping. And says, the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So Abram feels better for a while. More years go by. Two, three Somewhere in the midst of that, Abram and Sarai uh, decide that maybe we need to take actions into our own hands. And they did the culturally appropriate thing of Sarai's uh, servant would, would, be, would produce the heir and they would make a baby and that would go. And that doesn't go according to plan. Another year goes by. So we're at about 15. And in the midst of that, they're back at square one. But if you really think about it, you're not even close to square one. If you have ever had moments in life when you have tried something, when you felt like you needed to go do something and you brought your level best and it didn't work, you're well behind where you started. And this is the setup to what happens in Genesis 17. It has been 15 years some good days, some bad days. And God says and speaks and shows up with the words, I am God Almighty. I did not grow up in the RCA. Uh, I did not grow up in the Reformed tradition. I grew up, uh, we went to church some, but we weren't regular attenders for the most part, especially when I was little. Uh, when I got older, we started going a bit more. And when I was 17, I had an encounter with Jesus that I struggled to define uh, or, or describe, but has radically altered who I am. I met grace and truth in a way uh, that is, was palpable and altered my trajectory. And so after that, I remember sitting down with my parents and saying, hey, I want to go to a Christian liberal arts school. I went to Calvin just down the road. I did not grow up around this. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but I liked the school and I liked what I knew of and I had met Jesus that it changed who I was and I wanted to go there. My dad really wanted me to go to a Big Ten school. My dad grad and mom both graduated from the University of Iowa. They're Big Ten fans. There you go. Um, but I didn't feel like I needed to be there. So I went to Calvin and they were good and it was good and I started studying theology and I started digging into things. I would read for fun uh, what is Wayne Grundem's, Grundem's theology book, which is about 1,400 pages long and it weighs like 15 pounds. I was reading it for fun on Sunday afternoons because I felt like I needed to understand theology. I started to read John Calvin for fun because part of me is weird and thought that was a good time as a 19-year-old. And I began to weigh in on some issues of reformed theology and reformed thought. John Calvin talks about uh, the phrase El Shaddai and how it shows up in Hebrew, though he uses different words. He often references as sovereignty, right? 
John Calvin refers to the, the almighty nature as sovereignty, which is the idea that God is over all and Lord of all, and that God is a good God who creates space and rules over all of creation. And to be honest, I'm just going to be honest, at 19, the idea that there was a God who oversaw everything, the good and the bad, was not a life-giving idea for me. I wanted to be the master of my own fate. I wanted to steer my own ship, and I did not like the idea that there was a God who was telling me what to do, and that's how I read it, and that's how I heard it. It's funny how things change over time. It's funny to me that a few decades later, the idea that there is a sovereign God is a comforting one. I really kind of struggle with this verse to some degree when we're looking at God Almighty because God is big, true, and God is powerful, true. But why does God say that to the midst, in the midst of people that are hurting? If you're Abram, if you're Sarai, if you're a rebellious 19-year-old kid who liked theology but was still a rebellious 19-year-old kid, what does God being Almighty have to do? El Shaddai also has another translation. It means almighty, and that's the main one. It means God almighty. But it also means sufficient. It means enough. And when we think about that, if you're Abram, if you're Sarai, if it has been 15 long, hard years, and this God who led you to a place that you did not know and is engaging you in ways that you did not know, then suddenly God turns and says, I am enough. And it begins to resonate. It's the, the understanding and sentiment that we have that shows up to some degree in the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our, one of our founding documents, one of our main heavy hitters, right? And question and answer one of what is your only life, hope in life and death? That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was 19, I wanted to steer my own ship. After some bruises and wounds and battle scars, I am very thankful that I don't. And I am thankful that there is a God who creates space for me. I am thankful that there is a God who is big enough to take my concerns, my cares, my doubts. That in the moments when I'm like Abram, when I'm like Sarai, in the moments when I am hurt and hurting, that there is a God who stands over me and over you and over all of creation and says, I am enough. I'm enough for you. I'm enough for your concerns and your anxieties. I'm enough for your fears. I'm enough for the things that keep you up at night. I am God Almighty and I am enough. I don't know where you are and what that means, but there is resonance in a society that lives with constant attention and anxiety where our evaluation of other people is other people's evaluations are placed on us time and time again in a continual manner to have a God who creates space and says, I'm enough for you. I'm enough for your kids. I'm enough for your parents. I am enough for your grades and your job. I am enough. An almighty and sovereign God who's enough is also one who bestows grace upon us. This is what we see 
Paul talks about this. Paul talks about this all the time, but the one I like the most shows up in 2 Corinthians. And Paul who founded churches and Paul who led movements and Paul who changed the nature of the world with no exaggeration because of one man and what God did through him, the world is different now. And Paul, who did this, also has his struggles, his doubts, his pain. He talks that he has the thorn in his flesh that he cannot remove. And he asks God to remove it. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about the weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. Paul understood that God was enough that God was almighty and sufficient and big enough to give space for the things that kept him up at night, the things he struggled with, the things that are not pleasant, the things he asked and pleaded to be removed. But God gives grace. In the same way, an almighty and sovereign God is the same one who gives rest. We see this in Matthew when Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Because when God is enough, when God is almighty, when God is El Shaddai, we can stop working because we know that he has our concerns taken care of, that he has our anxieties taken care of. So for Abram and Sarai, when God declares himself sufficient, he not only uh, says this, he says, I am almighty, I am sufficient, I am enough for you. He then goes on and gives them new names and a new reality to live into. And finally, the promise is kept. And Abram, who is 99, a year later, a son is born, who they named Laughter the son of laughter, which on some level I always thought meant, well, because they're old, right? That's why it's laughter. But there's a deeper level if you think because over 15 years they have had doubts and struggles and then the promise finally arrives and you can see them going, who would have guessed this thing actually happened? Who would have thought that we would be here? And how can you not laugh in the midst of that? Friends, when we understand that God is El Shaddai, it prompts something within us and it prompts a reaction for us that means something for us here today. And it prompts two, two responses and you will both, you will use both throughout your lifetime. This is not a, one is transition into another or one is good and one is bad. If you follow Jesus, if you are engaged in the community of faith, when we understand God is El Shaddai, that God is almighty and that God is sufficient, it will prompt two things depending on where we are in our moments of weakness. And those moments will come as a call for us to lean and care upon him and to throw our concerns and trust upon him. If you're a kid, so kids, you will have good days and you will have bad days. You will have days when things feel clear and right, and you will have days when things feel confused and wrong. God is not far away from you in the days when things feel confused and wrong. God cares about you and is enough to take your concerns, your doubts, and your issues. And that's true if you're eight, and that's true if you're 80. We still always have moments of weakness and our God is one who provides. 
the other response then swings the other way. It's a call for us to reflect God's sufficiency to others and to be sent out with power of Pentecost when we are feeling strong on the moments of clarity, when we can look and think, I am God's child and I know I am redeemed and restored and things feel good. The call for us then is to how do we engage with our neighbor along those lines? How do we engage with those who are near to us? How do we reflect the power that Pastor John talked about? How do we bring ourselves fully to the world around us? In an exhausted and abused world, how are we grace and truth? How are we light and hope? And sometimes that's for places far away, but often it's for those near to us. It's our coworkers, it's our classmates, it's our friends, and it's our family. Not something we do out of our own, but something that is given to us through the Spirit to give power and weight to live into the call that is before us. And I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know what led you here this morning. But I do know that there is a God who says, I am El Shaddai. I am almighty. I am enough. We want to end this by, by giving you a time to reflect about what that is and what that means. We're going to sing a song in a minute. And we want to give you space to process and to think. There will be a time of silence and we invite you to pray. Which of those responses do you need today? Is it one of strength and power and reflecting what happened in Pentecost and going out? Is it one where if you're honest, you say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm barely holding it together right now. I'm this far away from just blowing everything up. I have all these things that I can't let go of. I struggle to sleep. It is hard. Then cast your cares upon him. Then release your concerns to him. Come to the Father who says over us, not with words of condemnation, but words of grace, that you are his son and his daughter whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. So I'm going to pray. And I invite the band to come forward. And we're going to have a moment of silence. And then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father. We come to sermons to hear you. We come to church to hear you. And sermons at their best are moments when we can hear a word from you. Not from a preacher but from a father who cares for his children. A father who is El Shaddai, who is almighty, who reigns over this earth and gives strength where it's needed. God, make us into people who respond. That what we do here on Sundays is not a performance or an act or a lecture, but it is people coming to meet you and to be changed by you. So in silence, speak to us. What shall we do and who shall we be?